Welcome to the Sunday Message Podcast of Bethany Church in Fresno, California. We hope this message will encourage and equip you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If today's message helps you, share it with a friend. If you would like to know more about the ministry of Bethany Church, please reach out on Facebook or at BethanyChurchFresno.com. And now, here's this week's message. We're going to continue in this message series that we've called A Faithful Church. We're in the book of Titus. It's a letter. Titus is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his young friend Titus. And it's part of a set of three letters in the New Testament. We call them the pastoral epistles or the pastor letters written by Paul. Two of them to Timothy, one to Titus. As they lead churches, uh, T- Timothy leading church, the church in Ephesus, Titus leading the church in Crete. And he's giving them instructions, guidance. He's, he's mentoring these guys on how to lead churches. But there's lessons in here that apply for all of us. So today we're calling this message, What Mercy Can Do. And we're in Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. If you're able to find that or follow along with me as I read. And if you're able to stand for the reading of God's word, let's do so at this time. I did tell Christy this morning, as we were talking about standing and sitting, standing and sitting, a, a friend of mine has converted to the uh, Orthodox uh, faith, and he says, you wouldn't be able to handle our services. We stand for two to three hours for the whole service. I said, yeah, you're right. I would not be able to handle that. <laughs> All right, Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of his, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. Let's be seated together. You know, God has God has many attributes, right? God's all powerful. He's all knowing. Uh, God is is love and he perfectly expresses his love. God is holy god is completely sovereign he is he is absolutely righteous he's the only creator he is the the only savior god is all those things but if i had to choose one attribute of god that i depend on the most it would be his mercy god's mercy and this small section of titus here rests completely on verse 5 which says he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his, say the word together with me, mercy. Right? Only the mercy of God makes our salvation possible because only the mercy of God can also satisfy the judgment of God. The mercy of God actually motivates God 
to save us, undeserving as we are, um, all of our sin, your sin and my sin, everything that we do that's wrong is ultimately against God. And so no one else but God can fix our lost condition. Only because of his mercy can God free us from slavery to sin. You see, if I'm still a slave to sin, I have not yet fully apprehended the mercy of God. And trust me, we are all in this process together. When I receive mercy properly, I'm motivated to live a life that fits what God has done. And so it's a lifelong process. We call it sanctification. God's in the work of of helping us understand and receive more and more of that mercy because I know I need it every day. I sometimes say that mercy saved us. You know, we're saved by the mercy of God. That's not technically accurate. God saves us, but His mercy is the reason why God does the saving. All right, again, look at verses 5, 6, and 7 again. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Let's break this down just a little bit here. Okay? How did God save us? Well, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're one and they're working together. They have a shared purpose. They're completely unified. They're not like, okay, this is your job, this is your job, this is your job. You guys go off and we'll meet up again at the end. No, they're completely in unity, seeking the salvation of all who would believe. Okay, so that's that's how we're saved. And, and so if we're saved through the Holy Spirit, where did the Holy Spirit come from? Well, it says that God poured out the Holy Spirit upon us generously, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See how God is working? The Holy Spirit's working. Jesus is working. It's a very Trinitarian passage, actually. All three of those things are, are of those persons of God are working together in that. And so God is generous. So he pours out his Holy Spirit generously into your life. And now what was the vehicle by which God delivered your salvation? How did he bring it to you? It's his grace through his grace. For we were justified by his grace. Justified means brought into alignment. You think about a page on a, in a book. What's, what's down the margin? You see how all the words line up? That's justified, right? We, we, that's the, that's what that means. He, we were brought into alignment with him by his grace. And so that we receive the hope of eternal life. Now, mercy does not mean we get away with something. Someone always pays the price of our wrongdoing, either it's ourselves or someone else. So mercy just means we were personally spared the cost or the consequence of our wrongdoing. In the case of sin, someone, some, the penalty for sin is death. Somebody died for my sin. Right? So think about it this way. It's just a very simple illustration. Think of a student in a classroom. Student goes to the instructor to get an extension on a deadline for an assignment. Right? Or maybe even permission to skip an assignment. And that ex- student experiences the mercy of the prof. How many of you students ever experienced that? There's a little bit of mercy from your prof. Just a couple of us. Okay, I know I have. <laughs> like, yeah, if we're, if we're going to be honest here, right? But someone still has to pay the price. You teachers that have done that, you know it, it costs you something. It was inconvenient. You had to kind of rework the books a little bit, go back, take that student's assignment in when all the other words were already in, and then you go back and mark it. Somebody pays the price for mercy. Someone else carries the weight, but that's mercy. 
So we're going to tackle three thoughts about this life-transforming mercy just from this passage here. And it begins with a very controversial bit of direction in verses 1 and 2. At least I find it that way, where he says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. All right, I was trying to think of a way to kind of summarize all those qualities together. I came up with this. Because of mercy, we can live cooperatively. We can live cooperatively because of mercy. I've been ruminating on verse one there, um, especially in the last couple of years of the pandemic. Um, it's, and, and in particular, that opening phrase, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. As believers, we ought to be good citizens. We, we need to be a blessing to our community and, and not a bunch of rebels. That said, the pandemic created a little bit of a conundrum for us, didn't it? It created a little bit of a challenge, uh, more than a little bit. For example, the authority said, you got to close your church. God's word says, don't forsake the meeting together of God's people. What do you do? It's a challenge. How, how do we, how do we submit ourselves to authorities and yet uphold God's word? Or I, I'm going to go a little further and some of you are going to feel really uncomfortable with what I'm going to say, but that's okay. I'm, I only have three Sundays left here. So, uh, Uh, for example, the government mandated some responses that, that we see now and were in many ways more harmful than helpful, like shutting down businesses that put a, such a great strain on the economy, uh, withholding early treatment for a serious illness, forbidding family members to support each other in medical crisis and loss. Some of you lost loved ones and you couldn't even be there with them except maybe by FaceTime. It just added to the weight of pain and loss. It was so difficult through that time. It, it, it made the experience even worse than it needed to be. And yet, here's Paul, who himself imprisoned multiple times for not being compliant with government rules. Right? He says, be subject to the authorities. So what do we do with this? How do we, how do we combine these two, these two things? Is there ever a time and a place to resist? And, and I say, yes, there is, because in that next phrase, it adds, and ready to do whatever is good. Ready to do what is good. So submission to authority is tempered by a commitment to doing what is good. Right? When forced to choose, you must choose goodness. Choose what is good. Now, I get it. Some people say, well, this is good. And some would say, well, this is good. So that's where you get into the nitty gritty and you got to work it out. And we got to be peaceable with each other and resolve some of those differences and recognize we're not all going to land in the same place on every issue. And that's okay. But that whole passage is we've got to learn how to live cooperatively. But let me let me just push this one step further in terms of an example. I think about the dilemma that is facing public school teachers Right? Some of you are being pushed to teach ideologies or reinforce ideologies that you know are harmful to those students and flatly contradictory to God's word. Well, yet your authorities are demanding compliance. What are you going to do? How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to wrestle through those experiences? Can you be subject to the authorities and yet do what is good? 
Here's my interpretation of this. I believe the limit of obedience to the government and to authorities is when their demands are harmful to others. Harmful to others. Uh, Not inconvenient, but harmful. So throughout history, terrible atrocities were committed because otherwise good people, sensible people, right, just followed orders. It'd be easy to come up with many examples. And at the same time, great evils, let's say slavery, for example, or all that terrible discrimination uh, of earlier decades in our own nation were overturned because people, usually believers, usually Christians, resisted and challenged existing laws leading to the overturning of slavery, leading to the civil rights movement, things that have been good for people because good people resisted that which was given by the authorities. Here's the key. The key is to be respectful and obedient even when you have to stand up and disagree. And it takes a great deal of wisdom to know that. And we're going to get it wrong sometimes. I can confess. I've gotten it wrong. And sometimes I got it right. But we're asking the Lord for wisdom through those things. And the Bible has many great examples of this. You think of Joseph uh, in Egypt. He's in prison, but he's asking to get out of prison. Get me out of this place. Well, that's a resistance. Uh, you think about Moses' mother. Here's a Bible trivia question. Anybody know Moses' mother's name? Not you. Anybody know Moses' mother's name? I bet you know, don't you? Anybody know? You're not going to forget after this one. Jochebed. Well, that is... You young parents, that daughter that's going to be born, that's, it's an option, it's on the table. Jochebed. She won't get teased at all. Um, right? She resisted the authority. She was supposed to surrender her son to be slaughtered, but instead... She resisted and hid him away. You think about Jeremiah and, and, and the prophets who spoke truth to power and resisted authorities. You think about Daniel and his friends exiled from, from Israel, from Israel into, uh, from Judah into Babylon. And they said, King, we can't do what you're demanding of us, but could we do this instead? They created alternatives and, and proved that, um, sometimes it went well. Sometimes it led to them being thrown in the fiery furnace. Um, but we can do that. Jesus, Peter and John, Peter and John were told they couldn't preach. They said, no, we, we must obey God rather than people. So it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to do that, a lot of prayer. But the key is to just don't be a jerk about it. Like, like be a good citizen, even in this process. So follow the command of Jesus to love our enemies, uh, to pray for those who mistreat us. Mercy makes it possible for us to live cooperatively submissive yet good right not slanderous peaceable considerate gentle all those things you and i can always be peaceable considerate and gentle even when we must resist harmful actions so be merciful to others because you too have received mercy and yes you and i have received mercy I like that Paul is perfectly honest about his and our need of it. Look again at verse 3 with me. We've got this one on screen. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Wow. That's quite a list. (laughs) If I'm going to be honest, it fits me too. It fits me too. 
foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, malicious, envious, hateful. So here's some good news today. Because of mercy, no willing soul is beyond rescue. Because of mercy, no willing soul is beyond rescue. And when I say no willing soul is beyond rescue, I just mean that God will not force anyone to be saved. He's not going to drag anybody unwillingly into his kingdom. It's still your choice. And sure, we can, it'll be kind of fun to have a debate here about, you know, just how much God does to make us desire salvation. Uh, but ultimately you choose whether or not you will be saved. And being honest about your need for mercy is the only way to receive it. You can only accept mercy if you admit that you need it. Otherwise, you will reject it. But here's where we sometimes hide. We hide under this banner of comparison, comparing ourselves to others. Let me explain. Uh, For example, it's uh, there was a, a time, short time in my life, where I got into running. And you can see by my physique, I'm no longer doing that. And um, that's okay. But uh, if if I were to enter, uh, let's say, a 5 or 10K race today, I would in no way expect to be first place or near the, near the front, right? My goal would to not be last. Or as somebody, young, one young person told me on the way out this morning, he says, your goal would be just to finish the race. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jeremy. I, I know you mean well. Uh, right. But my goal would to not be to, to not finish last because, you know, I may be slow, but if I can point to someone slower, I'm not so bad. I'm doing OK. Right. And we do the same thing in this list. I may be foolish. I may be disobedient. I may envious. But if I can point to someone else who is more foolish and more envious and more disobedient, I'm off the hook. That's comparison. You know, and in um, in my perfect marriage to Mrs. Weeb over here, uh, once in a while, like this happens in marital disagreements, right? Once in a while, she may be obliged to point out something in my life that I've done that's not helpful in the relationship. And my temptation is to say, oh yeah, well, there was a time you did the same thing to me. I can't think of it right now, but when I do... I will remind you of that. What's, what am I doing there? I'm looking for comparison. If I can find fault in the other person, then I feel like I'm not so bad myself. Rather than recognizing, A, she's always right, and B, and B, I need mercy because I am kind of broken as well. I fit that list. The standard is not other people. The standard is Christ himself and Christ is perfect. And unless I can match the perfection of Christ, I am going to need mercy. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. So consider what mercy can do. Paul says, at one time we were all these things, that terrible list. And then verses 4 and 5, the good news. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, what's happened? Who appeared? Who appeared? Jesus. The kindness and love. Jesus is the kindness and love of God in the flesh, incarnated. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but why? Because of His, say that word, mercy. Because of His mercy for us. 
Wow. Let's take this one step further and put it all together. Paul made that seven-point list that we went over of our life without mercy, our life before mercy. But now because of mercy, we go back to verses 1 and 2 where we can say that we live this cooperative life, submitted, obedient, good, not slanderous, peaceable, considerate, and gentle. That's what's happened because of mercy. I'm not saved because I, I had a, you know, a good home growing up or because, you know, my parents uh, faithfully brought me to church. That's not why I'm saved. I, I'm not rescued because, you know, I didn't do drugs in my youth. That's, that's not why I'm saved. The fact that I didn't look as bad as, you know, my parents sometimes fostered uh, kids that in, in the Weeb house, it was, you could go into, you could go to juvenile detention or you could go to the Weeb house. And so there were some real bad characters that, that I sometimes grew up with. I'm not saved because I was better behaved than those kids, right? I'm saved because I counted on mercy when I was lost. And I still do every day. I have to. I have to. I had a remarkable conversation this week with a guy. Oh, my goodness. Going through incredible difficulty in his life. Like like down to the very bottom of his life. Nothing left. And um, he told me about his completely broken upbringing. And, and how that still affects him. And yet he was so quick to thank God for helping him, for providing for him, for saving his life. He, he has about trust, talked about trusting in Jesus. And, and I, just listening to that again, I was convinced that because of mercy, no willing soul is beyond rescue. And some of you right now, you just think, I just, I don't, I don't really get the mercy thing. And I'm just telling you, when you are willing to receive it, you're invited into that experience of mercy. God is so good. He's so generous with that. Listen to the good story one more time. Verses 5, 6, and 7. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. You have the hope of eternal life this morning because of what God did, not because of what you did. Listen, your eternal life is secured because of the goodness, the kindness, the mercy of God. Don't forget that. Mercy makes it possible for us to be rescued, to live cooperatively. But now we need a a response. We need, okay, so what? What do I do with this? We need a kind of proactive way to to engage with this, and I would say it's this. The last thing I want to say is that because of mercy, we are motivated for mission. We're motivated for mission. Let me read verse 8 one more time. Verse 8 says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you, Titus, to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, that's all of us in this room, I hope, those of us who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And I know we've come up, honestly, in the last several weeks in particular, it feels like we keep coming back to this point, this idea of being devoted to the mission of doing what is good. But it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to involve uprooting your life and moving across the world to another country. It's sometimes the simplest things. I've got a few pictures here to illustrate the point. A couple of weeks ago, a team of people from our church went to Copper Hill School and, and served 
the local community just selling tickets at a carnival. No, we weren't evangelizing. We weren't preaching the gospel, but we were serving. We were on the mission of doing what is good. Here's Steve and Sarah helping out. Let's go to the next picture there. Oh, yeah, there's Sean and Jill and Andy uh, taking care of business over there. Let's go to the next one. A couple cool guys in this picture. Yeah, yeah, there's Randy, there's Stuart. Thanks, guys. Doing, looking good. Next one. Yeah, there's Cheryl and Marianne. Dale. It's teasing Dale because he's led our Financial Peace University class here a couple times, which is like all about not using credit cards, but we had him selling tickets on credit card just to <laughs> just to prank him a little bit. That's great. How about this? This last week we had this incredible event called Crunival. Crunival. Here's a little Abigail. But it's only possible because people were on the mission of doing what is good. Rhonda's there helping her uh, play golf. This is just amazing. That girl could swing that club, couldn't she? That's really something I watched that. Let's go to the next one. Uh, here's a little bit of fun to happen. Glenn is helping uh, Brian and Ellie uh, play a crazy fun game. Let's go to the next one. And there it is. <laughs> there it is. Thanks, guys. You're doing all right. You're doing all right up there. Uh, you know... We could not, we could not love and serve our community if it wasn't for you who are, who have accepted the mission, your mission should you choose to accept it, right? Is to do what is good. You're on a mission of doing what is good. And mercy makes that possible because you're responding. You're living out of the mercy that you've experienced from God and you're like, wow, I've received all this mercy. I'm all full up. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to do good to all people. Right as it around me. Those are just some small examples. You devote yourself to doing what is good. When you know the mercy that you've received, in fact, when you know the mercy that you've received, listen, church, this is really, this is crucial. If you, if you get nothing else today, get this. When you know the mercy that you've received, your first and overriding identity is that of a saved child of God. That's your identity. You are a saved child of God when you understand the mercy that you've received. You're not a nurse who is also a believer or a teacher or a student or a sales rep or whatever it is and also a believer. You are a believer who is also your occupation, whatever that occupation is. You are a believer first, followed by what you do. And so that means your identity in Christ and your devotion to the mission of doing what is good comes first always that's the priority that's because sometimes it's going to cost you something sometimes it's going to get you in trouble with people who don't understand sometimes it's going to make you unpopular to actually do the right thing but you're doing what is good because of the mercy that you've received from god and it's worth it it's worth it and and, and here's why the the believer because the believer is on a mission to do what is good for the workplace, right? For the neighborhood, for the city, for the school, for the, for the country, the, the world all around. Here's what Paul finishes verse 8 with. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Excellent and profitable for everyone. Did you know it's actually good for your community when you are on that mission of doing what is good? In your inter- interactions this week, 
will you be motivated for mission? Because mercy will do that for you and you will be a benefit and a blessing to the people around you. Because of mercy, good news, anyone, any willing soul can be rescued. Because of mercy, we can live cooperatively with each other and in our world and community. Because of mercy, we're on this mission to serve Jesus. Have you received God's mercy and the benefits of mercy into your life? Can we pray? God, we thank you. First of all, God, I thank you that you demonstrated your love in this, that while we were still sinners, while we fit that list of all those terrible things, that's when you died, you sent Jesus to die for us. Before we deserved it. God, I just thank you for showing us, your, demonstrating your mercy, demonstrating your great love for us in that. And God, I pray that as we, as we receive that mercy, that we would be so compelled uh, to respond in a way that we really are a blessing to the world around us and to each other. And Lord, where it's, where we land differently on different topics and where we land differently on, on some of the controversial stuff, God, let, let us have lots of kindness and grace and consideration for one another as well. We know you are so good to us and we thank you for your goodness to us. We give you our praise this morning. Thanks for listening. Know that God loves you more than you can imagine. And for everything Bethany Church, check out BethanyChurchFresno.com.